Welcome to Orchard UMC's podcast. At Orchard, we endeavor to live into our mission of transforming the world by growing in faith, serving others, and sharing Jesus. Today's scripture comes to us from Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of, ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give him my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Every family has stories, right? They're the stories that kind of get passed down. Um, They're a little bit like folklore. They're bedtime stories or the stories you tell around the dinner table. They kind of are a part of you and a part of your family identity. In mine, they're very varied. There's the story of when my uh, grandfather was a boy and he was struck by lightning. And that's how he got his curly hair. (laughs) There's the story that I I know I've told with some of you and I... uh, It's very much a story that my grandfather told me often... uh, especially as I was older, um, about his father. You see, remember I told you that my great-grandparents founded a Methodist church in the South, and uh, Brother White was their pastor, and it was temperance movement time. And uh, Brother White had asked all of the men in the congregation to make a pledge not to drink, and they stood, and everyone stood but my great-grandfather, And then he was called out by Brother White. Brother Mayo, you mean to tell me that you would take a drink? And my great-grandfather said, Yes, Brother White, and any of these fine gentlemen are are welcome to join me after church on my porch. (laughs) There's the story of how my grandparents met at a weenie roast and the story of my dad's uh, in high school, as a junior in high school, when he had to read the book of the book, The Last of the Mohegans, a book that he thoroughly hated. When it said on the test, why do you think that the author wrote the book my dad wrote to make money? (laughs) He did not do well. (laughs) And then there was my mom's story of Norman. When my mom was in first grade, she was six years old, It was about the middle of the year when a boy joined their class. His name was Norman. He was African-American. And what my mom started to notice was that the teacher treated him differently, and she wasn't sure why. She thought, well, maybe somehow he must be bad. And even though he didn't seem to be any squirrelier than any of the other six-year-old boys in her class, and the teacher... um, kept calling Norman a baby. She made him wear a bib in school. 
And she put pictures of babies on his desk. And then one day she threw away his crayons. And my mom started crying because she didn't know why the teacher was being so mean. She gave the kid back his crayons. I don't have any stories like that from my dad, who grew up in Maryland where the schools were segregated. Both stories are a part of me. Realities that I confront both remind me that sitting by quietly is not an option in the face of injustice. I'll be honest, I sat through just mercy, absolutely in disbelief that this story was from the 1990s. I guess as a white woman in the 1990s, living in suburban Michigan, I didn't have to know that story. I didn't have to know that reality. My privilege kind of enabled my ignorance. The movie is about Brian Stevenson, who was a Harvard-trained lawyer. In fact, after he graduated, he moved down south to Alabama, where he was committed to helping death row inmates get a fair trial. Through grants and funding, he founded the Equal Justice Initiative And this work introduced him to Walter McMillan, also known as Johnny T. Johnny T was wrongly accused. He was an African-American man. He was poor. And he was accused of killing a white woman. And this accusation was based on the coerced testimony of a white man who was also in trouble. Johnny T. was on death row and facing the death penalty, and Brian went to work. And he worked hard, fighting for Walter, uncovering the truth. And time and time again, he went up against obstacles and people and all kinds of efforts to block his work. In the end, the case is thrown out. But it's an intense movie. In the middle, we witness blatant racism, a racist system that benefits some and not others, capital punishment, despair. And man, you cry when you watch this movie. It's hard to watch. But it's important. It exposes racism and poverty and the discrepancies in the penal system, and it brings home messages like it's easier to be rich and guilty than to be poor and innocent, that one in nine people on death row are innocent. Um, I had the opportunity this week, I watched a TED Talk by Brian Stevenson, and he compared that, that number, one in nine. Imagine, he said, imagine a pilot who crashes a plane one out of nine times. The movie causes us to look at issues of race and class and capital punishment 
and to ask the question, not do they deserve to die, but do we deserve to kill? Fundamentally, it's a movie about the pursuit of justice that reminds us of our mandates as Christians. That scripture that Sam wrote, it's one of my favorites. What does the Lord require of you? He has told you, told you O mortal, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. It's a message we see throughout the New Testament. It's especially shown to us through Jesus' ministry. He calls out the Pharisees for being more concerned about the religious law than the well-being of the outcast. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. We see it throughout his ministry. Jesus and justice go hand in hand. It's hard to talk about these things, right? We don't come to church to feel uncomfortable, but if we read the Bible, we can't avoid it. Christ calls us to do more than be comfortable. Jesus wasn't okay with the status quo. He didn't keep quiet in the face of injustice. He healed the bleeding woman who couldn't come in contact with others. He healed the blind man on the Sabbath, breaking the law. He sat with a woman at the well, breaking all kinds of rules. He told this crowd that those without sin could cast the first stone. And when he saw that the temple was being treated like a marketplace, where greed was more important than humility, He called them out and threw over the tables at the idea that the place of worship was being used for anything but worshiping and helping the poor. You can't get around it. We have a biblical mandate to step out and to step up for justice, to tirelessly work for what is right, to speak up, to encourage, to do Christ's work. One of the blessings of so many churches now who have gone on this bandwagon of going to the movies during the week and preaching on it on Sunday is sometimes they see a movie before you do and you can go online and listen to their sermons. (laughs) Thank you, Carol. Uh, Reverend Rick Dake, who uh, I had the blessing of being in ministry with at Clarkston United Methodist Church before I came here, preached on um, this movie back on MLK weekend. What a good idea. Why didn't we think of that? And uh, he found, um, he in his sermon quoted Brian Stevenson, and I want to share with you what he quoted. Four things that we can do to make a difference is what Brian Stevenson said. If we're really serious about justice, the first thing that we need to do is to have proximity. That means that we don't just talk about or throw money at something, that we actually know the people that we're talking about or that we're giving to, that we know the organizations that we're supporting and that we develop relationships It's all great to just work in a vacuum to think, oh, I made a difference, but to really know the stories of people, to really come alongside them because we all are stronger together. The second thing 
that Brian Stevenson says is that we need to change the narrative, that we need to know the people and break down the stereotypes for others, and we have to call people on their stuff because we know the real story and we need to tell the real story and share with people who are different from us. That we have to talk about the hard stuff that no one wants to talk about because, of course, it's much easier to talk about the easier stuff. But Mr. Rogers said, if it's human, it's mentionable. If it's mentionable, it's manageable. And so until we are willing to mention, until we are willing to talk about it, how do we make it better? The third thing Brian Stevenson says that we need to do is to be hopeful to believe in the work of the Holy Spirit, to know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and that God will not leave us orphaned if we're willing to put ourselves out there, if we're willing to speak up and step out. We need to know that God is with us, that God is on our side, and in that we find hope. And finally, Brian says, to choose to do what is difficult. In the movie, um, I think it's his mother, but in his TED Talk, he said that it was his grandmother who said to him, Brian, always do the right thing, even when the right thing is the hard thing. It can be scary, for sure, to speak up for someone, to speak out against something everyone else likes. To, it can be inconvenient to shop at different stores or to eat at different restaurants, or maybe we even lose friends overtaking such stands, but we are called to do justice, to love mercy, to walk in grace. In his TED Talk, Brian Stevenson tells this story about how he was going to court one day, and he was there to defend a 14-year-old boy who was on death row. Yes, in the United States, the only country, um, you can be tried as an adult and be given capital punishment at 13. Brian was going in to fight a losing battle for all kinds of reasons, mostly resources, mostly life circumstance, all the many things of society that landed the boy in that place. And as he was going up the stairs of the courthouse, the courthouse janitor came up to him and said, who are you? And he said, I'm a lawyer. And the janitor gave him a big hug and looked at him and said, I am proud of you. And Brian went in to, to try the case and to defend uh, the boy. And it was a losing battle. And at one point, Brian looked out and he could see that the janitor was outside and he was pacing back and forth and listening until he came in when Brian sat down, and he sat right behind Brian. And then there was a break, and the deputy who was in the courtroom got angry, and he came over to the janitor and asked him, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And the guy said, I am here to remind this young man to keep his eyes on the prize and to hold on. You see, sometimes doing the work 
of justice is to sit behind the one who's advocating so that they know that they're not alone. And sometimes our work is to encourage and to say the words that are needed for the one who is fighting and carrying on. And sometimes it's to sit along the side of the one who is hurting. And sometimes it's sure ensuring that other people have voice by listening more than talking. And sometimes it's marching, and sometimes it's donating, and sometimes it's contacting our lawmakers, and sometimes it's acting and doing the hard stuff and leaving our comfort zones because we are too upset about injustice and we need to turn over the tables because we see a child being bullied or incarcerated or separated from their parents and left in a cage. Always it's teaching and modeling for our children. Always it's teaching them that they, as well as everyone they see, are children of God. Stevenson said that you will judge a character of a society not by their technology or their successes or their creativity or innovation, but by how they treat the poor and the condemned and the incarcerated. When you evaluate that, we will understand who we are. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God? Or as Stevenson said at the end, we all need justice, mercy, and unmerited grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you have been enriched by the word proclaimed. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at ministry at orchardumc.org. You can find out more about Orchard by going to our website at www.orchardumc.org.